Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here. Uh, We're going to talk this morning about kingdom power, and this is our fifth sermon in the series on the kingdom of God. And what we've seen so far is that the kingdom of God, very simply defined, is the rule and reign of God. And... um, we saw that the, a couple weeks ago, we saw that the fullness of that is a, uh, when Jesus comes back and he sets up uh, God's kingdom on a restored earth. That is when, in, a full, in the fullest sense, God's will will be done on earth as is in heaven. And then last week, we saw that there is some aspect to the kingdom that we can experience now, uh, that that happens through the Spirit, which we're going to talk about more today, that happens through kingdom ethics, and that, that happens through kingdom citizenship. So before we get to kingdom power, I wanted to briefly talk about my thought process behind this part of the sermon series. We're going to be going through in the next six weeks, six different aspects of how we can experience the kingdom of God in our lives today. And one of my favorite resources on the kingdom is my friend Sean Finnegan's class on Restitutio, his podcast. Uh, where he goes through many different aspects of the kingdom of God. But at one point in his class, he talks about the kingdom in Isaiah, and then he talks about the kingdom in the other prophets, and then he talks about the kingdom in the New Testament. And so one way we could think about this is I could, we could do a sermon series, six sermons, where we talk about uh, kingdom in the law. We could talk about kingdom in Isaiah. We could talk about kingdom in the prophets. Uh, We could talk about the Gospels, we could talk about Acts, we could talk about the Epistles and the later New Testament writings. So that would be one way to go through the Kingdom of God. We could go sort of chronologically and sort of jumble all the topics together as we go through. But I didn't think that that was the way I wanted to do it. So this is the way we're going to actually do it. We're going to look at the subject of power, and we're going to look at the subject of power throughout the whole Bible. So we're going to look at Kingdom power as expressed throughout all these different areas of scripture. And that's what our topic is for today. So uh, when we go through this, I'm also gonna sort of set the pattern for what I'm planning on doing. We're gonna talk about uh, the bad news. We've been talking about uh, the, what was the bad news. That was a couple, three weeks ago, I think. The, what, was, what was the bad news about Adam and Eve and why we ended up in the position that we ended up in? And so we're going to talk about the bad news related to power today. Then we're going to talk about the ultimate good news related to power today. And then we're going to talk about the good news for us today. What we're going to see today about power is it's unique. Because when we think about power, especially kingdom power, it was prophesied to be an end times thing. But then God poured it out early. So it's sort of like we've already experienced the, what was supposed to be future now, and we'll get into that. So we're going to start with what is the bad news? What is the bad news? You can turn with me to Matthew 4. We'll get there eventually. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 4. So when we think about power in the Bible, it usually describes the ability to make something happen. And there's also a related word that's important for us to understand when we talk about power, and that's the word authority. And authority is the right to use that power, or um, it, it, it's, it's the way that we get the, the chance to use that power. So we've already seen, a couple weeks ago, we saw that in the beginning, God wanted men and women to rule the world under his authority 
to be servant leaders, to be servant kings and servant queens, and to serve creation, God's good creation, to tend and keep the garden. And in this text, the word that's used is the word dominion, which is a power-related word. And so Adam and Eve had power. God gave them certain powers. He gave them authority. He gave them the right to use that power. And they were to, to serve God's good creation. But Adam and Eve sinned. And so somehow Satan gained some sort of authority over the earth. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls Satan the God of this world. And we find something very interesting when we examine the record of Jesus' temptations by the devil here in Matthew 4. We'll pick it up in verse 8. This is the last of the temptations. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, to Jesus, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, as I think about this record, and many people have pointed this out, that the devil offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world. If the devil didn't really have that kind of power, that kind of authority, Jesus could have very well just responded with, you can't offer me these things, that's not available, you can't do that. But that's not how Jesus responded. He didn't just respond by calling the devil's bluff. He responded with the right answer from the book of Deuteronomy, I believe. Um, what I noticed when reading through some commentaries on this, Dr. Franson, the New International Commentary in the New Testament, said that Satan, he noticed that Satan could only offer him the authority on earth, not the authority on heaven. And think later in Matthew, when we get to chapter 28, Jesus tells his disciple, all authority has been granted me in heaven and on earth. So what this moment is, this temptation was a, totally a real temptation, and it would have been a shortcut to some of Jesus' destiny, but it wasn't a shortcut to his entire destiny. What God had in store for Christ was bigger than what Satan could offer him. And even though we're not going to focus on that aspect of this record today, I think there's a lesson there. So I think something similar has happened to humanity throughout time uh, when we rejected God as king throughout the Bible. We saw a couple weeks ago that Adam and Eve rejected God as king. And because of that, we can just read through the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, and you see record after record of them throwing off the authority of God and deciding that they could choose right and wrong for themselves and getting the consequences of that. But when Adam and Eve made that decision, they thought that they were choosing to be their own kings and queens. They thought, we are going to have the option of throwing off God's rule, and we're going to be the ones in charge now. That's what the devil had sort of told them. But is that how, is that how it actually turned out? This was the original bait and switch. Have you ever been on a vacation where you got like this amazing deal on like a hotel and then you realize that you signed some paperwork that means you got to be locked in a room for four hours listening to a presentation, right? That's a bait and switch, right? Or you sign up for a, a contract like Netflix or some subscription or something, right? And you don't read the fine print and you realize if you don't cancel your free thing, then you end up getting charged every month after that. It's sort of like a bait and switch, right? This was the original bait and switch. They thought they were going to be their own kings and queens. And then they found out they were serving the devil. They found out they were going to be serving sin. Because in John 8, Jesus says, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so that is the choice that people have. We don't have the choice of being our own kings and queens and being totally independent. We all have bosses in this life and spiritually. 
And of course, Paul uses the same language in Romans 6 to talk about how Christians are to be slaves to righteousness instead of being slaves to sin. So we only have two choices. We can either be our own kings and queens and serve the devil and serve sin, or we can serve the true king. So the bad news related to power is that God gave humanity a great authority and great power, and then we shoved it away. We squandered it because uh, Adam and Eve made that bad choice. So that's the bad news. Well, we have some good news today, too, thankfully. <laughs> Praise God. So what is the good news? Well, the good news is, even throughout the Hebrew Bible, even when this uh, relationship was sort of was broken between humanity and God, God was still able to pour out His Spirit upon men and women. He was still able to work with men and women who were committed to Him, who were under His reign and His rule. He worked in Abraham and Joseph. He worked in Moses and David. He worked in Elijah and Daniel. He worked in Deborah and Esther. And through these wonderful servants of God, God was able to bless the world in many wonderful ways. Um, his Spirit calls mighty things to happen. Uh, some things were national miracles, like the parting of the Red Sea in the Exodus account, to personal miracles like healings or like oil refilling over and over again so a woman could pay a debt. But God only was able to work with a few people in every generation. And so the people of old, and especially the prophets of old, always longed for a time when the Spirit would be, in some sense, democratized and be able to spread over everyone. Let's turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah. We're going to see that the ancient Hebrews had a very specific idea about what the Spirit would look like and when it would be more broadly available. And I think the answer is going to surprise us. Maybe not, because I told you the answer. But in, in Isaiah chapter 32, it says, in verse 14, For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. So this is the bad things that are happening in Isaiah's time. He's saying there's going to be desolation. Verse 15, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and notice what he associates with the Spirit being poured out. The wilderness becoming a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Verse 16, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. Now this is prophetic language, but what is this describing? This is describing the future kingdom of God. So what Isaiah is saying is that, the Spirit is going to be poured out at the, what we would call the end times, or when Jesus comes back the second time. So in the time of Isaiah, we have a future that looks bleak, and then we have this hope for national Israel being this future time when the Spirit's poured out and the, the whole world is restored. And we've seen that that is the future kingdom language. So in Ezekiel chapter 36, we won't go there. It's a long passage. Um, but there are four things I wanted to point out from the Ezekiel 36 record. Uh, again, relating to the Spirit and the way that the Hebrew people conceived of the, the Spirit before Christ came. It talks about how God will gather the people back into the land. Now, what is that? That's future kingdom language. It says God will cleanse His people. It says God gives His people a new heart and puts His Spirit in them. And then God declares the promise that He will be their God and they will be his people. So again, we have kingdom language, and we have this idea that the Spirit is coming for a very specific purpose. 
And that purpose is to cleanse their hearts and to help them follow the things that he wants them to follow and obey the things that he wants them to obey. And all throughout the Bible, we see heart imagery related to obedience. We see it in Jeremiah 31. We see it in Deuteronomy 30. Uh, Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 2 when he talks about the circumcision of the heart. Those are just three examples that we can just trace this heart understanding throughout the Bible. And so one major aspect of the Spirit from, from prophecy is that the Spirit would be something that would indwell us and would allow our hearts to change so that we could actually serve under the reign and rule of God and do that faithfully. And so, again, here in Ezekiel, we find that that's tied to the future kingdom. It's tied to this future coming of Christ. Uh, here's another great example. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joel chapter 2. This is probably the most popular one, if we've heard of one, because this one gets quoted in, in uh, Peter's sermon in on Acts 2. But I want to point out that before Peter quotes it, what does it say in, in Joel 2? What kind of language does it use to describe it? Verse 28 says, And it shall come to pass afterward, afterward, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. Uh, I'll just stop there briefly. The, um, throughout the Bible, I said in the, in the Hebrew Bible, we see different people have the spirit. They can work with God and God works within them to do mighty things. But who are these people? These people are prophets and prophetesses. These people are kings and queens. These people are priests, mostly. I mean, there's a couple of exceptions to this rule. But by and large, it is the elite of society that get the Spirit. Now, what is this talking about? This is talking about young men and young women getting the Spirit. It's talking about even servants, even slaves getting the Spirit. Okay, verse 30, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord arrives. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So again, we have this idea that we have this future kingdom language being associated with the Spirit being poured out on all flesh. So we have future kingdom language, but... The other fascinating thing about this is this passage points out, I think, the other important thing that the Spirit does. It doesn't just lead us into obedience. It doesn't just change our hearts so that we can be under the reign and rule of God. The Spirit also allows us to extend that reign and rule of God into the situations around us, where we can bring that power to bear, that authority to bear in situations around us, where we can do healings, we can cast out spirits, we can do the things that Jesus did during his ministry. So those are the two primary uh, prophetic understandings of the Spirit. Those are the two primary things that we see with the Spirit. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. So I've, I think I've demonstrated, and, and you, know, you can do more research and, and double-check my work. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you have to believe me on this, but the Spirit, in, in, if you trace it through the Hebrew Bible, the Spirit, as it's prophesied about, it's always talking about the restoration of the world is talking about this future kingdom reality. Now, remember that Jesus spent, depending on your view of his ministry, one or three years or somewhere between the two, teaching his disciples a lot about the kingdom of God. That's what he preached publicly, and then when he was with them privately, he would unveil deeper things about the kingdom of God to them. And so now, 
we get to Acts chapter 1 and we find that he's going to spend more time with them, telling them even more about the kingdom of God. So here in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, it says, He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them, his disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. So he's talking to them about this kingdom. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what he's telling them is he's saying, Look, you need to wait in Jerusalem because very soon the Spirit's going to be poured out on you. So now they're familiar with Ezekiel. They're familiar with Joel. They're familiar with Isaiah, right? And Jesus has been teaching them about the kingdom for months and months and months and months. And he spent even this 40 days teaching them about the kingdom. So we have to take their question in this next verse in that context. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why did they ask that question? Because the prophecies were future. They didn't think the kingdom was going to, that the spirit was going to come before the kingdom came in fullness. So that was the expectation of the Jews. And his response is not, no, dummies, you're not, you're not picking up what I'm throwing down. And some people do call the disciples sometimes the disciples because sometimes they were a little slow on the uptake. But this is not one of those times. In verse 7 it says, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he clarifies, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the, ends, to the end of the earth. And this, in some sense, is the subject of the book of Acts, how this happened, how because of the the anointing and the power and the authority that God gave those disciples, how that word, that gospel message did spread throughout all those geographical areas. So I think we have to realize that the spirit and the kingdom go hand in hand. They were prophesied that way. Jesus, when he went around during his ministry, he lived his ministry that way, and that we now have the opportunity to do the same thing in our time. Last week, uh, we talked about this Bible project temple imagery. I'm going to give you four different ways today of visualizing what the kingdom power looks like in our life today. And one of them is this Bible project temple imagery. And last week, we talked about how heaven is sort of one, we can view it as one kind of dimension, and earth as another type of dimension. We tend to view uh, earth as like this planet, and then heaven is like up there. We can also view it as... Uh, layers that can overlap or not overlap, dimensions that can intersect or not intersect. And that's true of our lives. It's true of the lives of people around us. And so we have heaven in purple here, which is a royal color. Then we have earth, which is, which is gray. And if it were pre-fall, again, the earth would be perfectly white because it was very good. But then sin entered into that dimension, and now we have good and bad mixed together. So then on the next slide, we see what does it look like when you have a functioning temple? Well, in the Old Testament times, that is where people went to see God. They went to see God at the temple. That's where his, his presence was, and that's where people could come to meet God. And so that is where heaven and earth meet, is that temple. So if we go to the next slide, when Jesus was on the earth, who was the temple? He was the temple. He, if you wanted to, to meet 
God in some sense. That is where you went. You went to see Jesus because as the temple, he had the power and presence of God inside of him. Well, now who's the temple? We are. Now who has God's power and presence inside of us? We do. So it looks sort of like the earth is getting a viral infection, doesn't it? The earth has COVID, a positive form of COVID. Christ, Christ COVID. So this is what it looks like now. This is what it looks like now. And this is the opportunity that we have to bring small pockets of the kingdom wherever we go, just like Christ had that opportunity as well. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 12. We saw this verse last week, but just to sort of back up this imagery, I want to bring up again how Christ uh, talked about this. And in Matthew chapter 12, we have uh, an incident where he healed a demon-oppressed man. Verse 22, it says, Then a demon-oppressed man was who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed. Jesus healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. So here we have deliverance. And then there's this whole debate about how the deliverance happened. But then Jesus says in verse 28, He's setting his critics right here. He says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so that is what is going on when Jesus is out and around and ministering to people. Is he, as Sean Finnegan sometimes says, he's like a bubble or a pocket of the kingdom, and he's mobily going around and showing people what the kingdom is going to look like. It's going to look like people being set free. It's going to look like uh, people being healed. It's going to look like restoration. And so people experience a localized version of that with his ministry. So, and then there's a couple of ways we can understand this in light of um, what God is doing through Christ. The first thing is he is uh, showing the world that his power and presence resides in Christ. It is uh, showing that he is a legitimate prophet and that he's doing things that God wants him to do. And it's also a way for God to push back against the forces of darkness, that he is now going to attack the power of Satan directly. So, um, the other way, another way we can think about this, uh, we've talked about temple imagery, is a lightning bolt coming down. And if my son, my six-year-old son, would he be, were here, he would uh, inevitably make a connection, someone already did earlier today, about force lightning. Force lightning, you know, if, if you were a Star Wars fan, the bad guys shoot lightning out of their hands, okay? So uh, this is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> what, when I think about lightning, I think about something from heaven coming down and power just being manifested in a very small localized spot. And that is in some sense what the Spirit of God can do in these types of things, like healings and like casting out spirits. It's like a lightning bolt coming down and power being manifested in a very uh, dynamic way. So that's another image we can think about when we think about kingdom power. Um, we can look at Ephesians chapter 1. I doubt many of you have the REV translation. I'm not going to read it in the ESV. I liked it better in the REV. In Ephesians chapter 1, we get yet another way of looking at the Spirit. It says, "...in whom you also, when you heard the message of truth, the good news of your salvation, and when you, when you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of God's own purchased possession to the praise of his glory." That word guarantee there is a down payment. And so if you've bought a house or if you've ever had to put a down payment on something, you understand what that means. And there's a reason why I think the Spirit is described as the down payment because it was always meant to be part of the final product. Yeah. So if it's, part, it's, if it's supposed to be part of that final product, 
then it makes sense that we call it a down payment. It's something that we get in advance. It's something that we get now, even though it was meant to be in this future thing. And so God decided to give the Spirit early. We, had, we can enjoy in advance uh, of the full kingdom coming. We can enjoy this power of the Spirit. Now, we've been talking about you know, miracles and dynamic ways that God works. And I, I do want to add a quick point here. It would be, I think, a mistake for me not to say this. That the power of God is not always manifested in the ways that we would prefer it to be. We don't win every battle in this life. We've all seen sickness. We've all seen disease. We've all seen tragedy. We've all seen loss. And I don't think as a pastor it's helpful to point fingers when those things happen. Since we don't have all the information. We don't see things the way that God does all the time. But the point that I'm trying to make here is, is that God made a way for us to know that he's already won the final battle, the most important battle, and that in the kingdom, we know that God's power will surround us and enliven us, and that we can experience that in some part today. That's the important piece I'm trying to get to. So as I've said today, there are two things that the Spirit does. We saw this in the prophecies about the Spirit. The first thing that it does is it enables us to more closely follow Christ and be transformed into him. That is the piece we saw about God changing our hearts and circumcising our hearts and giving us a new heart instead of a heart of stone. We've talked a little bit about that language. But go read Ezekiel. Go read Deuteronomy 30. Go read Romans 2. You'll see it. And then the second thing is it enables us to perform miracles and operate the gifts that God has given us, which we heard some of those gifts today. And so, again, we tend to focus on the second aspect a lot. And that second aspect, as I talked about, is really super important. Again, it validated Jesus as being who he was, the Messiah, and it showed that God was pushing back against the kingdom of darkness in a very visible and powerful way. But the thing that we can start, I think, comprehending about the kingdom of God, and we're going to continue developing this as we, as we keep moving, we've already seen that the kingdom way of leadership is different than what we would expect. It is upside-down servant leadership, right? We saw that Adam and Eve were to dress and keep the garden, that they were to, uh, to serve in the garden and not serve as what we would call kings and queens in our understanding in a modern Western sense, but to be servant kings and servant queens, right? And so there are so many aspects of the kingdom that lead us to use this language of being upside-down or not, not quite the way we would anticipate things. And I want to point out that there is another way to push back at the kingdom of darkness that doesn't require healings or casting out spirits or the very, very miraculous things. Because there's a temptation within all of us to self-justify, to be self-centered, to be self-governed as much as that's possible. And when we get caught doing something wrong, our automatic response is to minimize it, to shove it away, to justify our actions, to compare ourselves with others and say, hey, I'm doing better than that person, so I'm a pretty good person, right? We say, I'm only human, right? I'm only human. You can't hold me to this higher standard. But here's the thing. We're not only human. The first miracle that happens when we claim Jesus as Lord is we receive this kingdom power, this power of the Spirit. 
And the Spirit's most consistent work in our lives is not in the miracles, it's not in the healings, it's not even in the giftings we have in other categories. No, the Spirit's most consistent work in our lives is to give us peace, to give us joy, to give us meekness, to give us self-control, to give us supernatural love. But friends, this consistent work of the Spirit, it's not something that's going to happen automatically. God gave us the Spirit so that we now can be under His reign and rule, and we have to actively participate in that. We have to invite Him in and to develop those things. We have to participate. And as we do, as we do that, as we start that process, we will become people like our Lord, people that don't violently defend ourselves when we're wrongfully accused. We don't lie. We don't steal. We're the best workers. We're the best friends. We're the best people to be around. We bring positivity. We bring grace. We bring love and mercy wherever we go. And to me, that sounds like bringing the kingdom to the people around us. Doesn't it sound like that to you? So these are the ways we can bring this upside-down nature of the kingdom where we can be surprising. And through our surprising way of living, we can invite people into God's goodness, into what He wants for them, into His love. And that is how we can also combat the forces of darkness wherever we go. There's one last image I want to give you this morning, and that is of a cup overflowing. This is actually on my deck. I couldn't find a stock image that I like, so Megan helped me with this uh, not-so-stock image. It's my image. I own it. Uh, but here we have a cup, and it's overflowing. And there's a couple things I liked about how it came out. Um, the first is uh, the fact that we've got bubbles going on. So I'm going to explain why I like about that in a second. The second is we have the water coming from above, which I also think is really cool. And so let me explain to you what I think is going on here from a spiritual perspective. We are the glass. And at the time of the new birth, uh, in some sense, we want to empty ourselves of all the negative things, right? And so God is now filling us with his spirit. And when it comes in, in this, this water language, by the way, the pouring out, we saw it in a couple of places. We saw it in Isaiah, but it gets used in Joel. It gets used in Acts 2. It gets used all over the place in the New Testament too. So we have this, this water that's coming down from above. God is pouring out his spirit into our container, into our vessel, which Paul talk, uses that language too. He's pouring out the Spirit into this vessel, and we've got these bubbles, which the bubbles are pockets of energy, pockets of anticipation, pockets of excitement for God and the work that He's doing in our lives. And now we've come to a point where that water is busting out of us because we want to see this power come out of us and into the world around us. We don't just want to sit here at home and be like, I'm the most meek, loving person I know. We want to bring the, those things to the world around us, and the way that that happens is through overflow. God gives us not just enough to get the job done. He gives us more than enough, and that is enough to share with the world around us. So the, the kingdom power is like a cup overflowing. So as we close this morning, as we reflect on what we've talked about this morning, again, I ask the question, is God's will done on earth as it is in heaven right now in a global sense? No, no. But God, but God has given us the power and authority that we need through and in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, so that we can bring God's goodness and those blessings to those around us. 
we literally have kingdom power coursing through us. And that is how we live under the reign and rule of God. We have our hearts changed, and that's how we bring this idea of the kingdom to the people around us, through the power of the Spirit, through that kingdom power. Will you pray with me? Father, we're just so thankful this morning that you gave us the Spirit early. You knew we needed it, Father. You knew that it would make um, everything that we do so much better, so much richer, so much more full and complete. Um, we're just, just amazed that we get to participate in this period of time where all of us, from the greatest to the least, we can all come to Christ. We can all experience your goodness and your mercy in a way that's, that's deeper and richer than, than most people experience throughout the time of Israel in the, in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament. Father, it's just unbelievable that we have this opportunity. But we also know, Father, that this responsibility, that, that this ability comes with responsibility. That there is a way that we get to participate that is greater than what prior peoples experienced, and that because of that, we know that you're calling us to greater and greater things, to greater and greater consistency, to greater and greater conformity to the image of your son, Jesus. And we invite that, God. We want that. So, Father, we're just uh, in awe of what you've given us and what we can do to just join the work that you're doing uh, here in Louisville and wherever we go. Father, we just thank you again for all that you've given us in Christ. And it's in his name I pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslou.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.